Hopefully you grabbed a rock. If you didn't grab a rock, go back. There's a bunch of them in the back. Um, now, a couple things. Just hold on to these. These are not for you to throw. This is not for you to um, touch your neighbor with if they start falling asleep or anything like this. You'll hear more about what this represents. But we're in this series right now at South Creek called Canyons. And we've been talking about some of the more deep and uh, difficult emotions that we find. And we've been looking a little bit at the story of the life of David in some of the Psalms that he wrote. One of them is Psalm 51, and he talks about just this idea of of God creating me a pure and clean heart. And he talks about the transgressions of sin, and he really gets into this idea of shame. And this morning, you're going to get to hear uh, from my friend Chuck McCoskey and some friends about how God has a plan for your shame, how God doesn't want you to be lonely, and how God believes that there is a plan for you to be healed and whole. And so... Without further ado, would my friend Chuck McCoskey, who is our amazing recovery director, would you give a hand to him? He's going to come up and he's going to invite up a few friends this morning. Good morning. See, I told you I don't need a bite. Just kidding. You want, you want, there you go. Good morning, everybody. First of all, welcome. Uh, my name is Chuck McCoskey. I'm a recovering addict and alcoholic. And I'm blessed to be alive today. I'm so blessed by the grace of God. I'm so blessed by the many friends that I have in recovery. I'm a blessed man. And it's a great day to be alive. It's a great day to uh, invite some guests. First of all, yesterday, i got to tell you, uh, we had a wonderful day. We had the best turnout in the nine or ten years that we've done the Festival of Hope on Saturday. And I... I'm encouraged. You know, I was a little discouraged over the attendance the last few years. And I don't believe anybody left early yesterday. And that might be a first as well. And I think a big part of that is that God was here. God is here today. He is present. He wants us in this place today. He has a reason and appointed time for you to be here today. So it's not by mistake. It's not by coincidence. It's an appointed time. And I had five guests share yesterday. And three of them have come back today. And they have brought a lot of their family and friends, so welcome to all of you into our humble abode. So I'm going to invite my friends as uh, Seth, Jake, and Amanda. Where's Amanda? Ah, there you are. Come on up. So as a guest of my talk show today, (laughs) I'm going to bring you all. I have a bottle of water for you. Yes. Oh, I was thinking Amanda would get the most comfortable chair, but okay, okay, fair enough. You're okay with it. I'll tell you what; these guys did such an amazing job today. I just, uh, well, first of all, I want to ask you by a show of hands: How many of you people in this audience today believe that God is still in the miracle business? Okay, you that didn't raise your hands. You're about to find out. For real. These are three miracles. I have known these folks in their lives before God, and I know them now. And I'm telling you, they are miracles of God. And I'm excited for you to be here to hear their story today. So I'm not going to do much talking. I might uh, ask a few questions to get you all going. you got your own mic, and you're first. So here's what I'd like to do. Before we do that, because I noticed, if you notice on the back of your bulletin, scripture reading for today 
is from Psalms. I think we can all relate to this Psalms out of Psalms 142. If you have your Bibles, join me. If you don't have your Bibles, bring them next week. A cry aloud, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him, I tell him my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry out to you, Lord. I say, you, you are my refuge. You are my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. That's a good word for today. Can I get an amen? So what I'm going to do is uh, turn it over, but I want to start with asking you guys a question I'd like for each of you to share for a little bit. We don't have as much time as we did yesterday. So what time you guys got to be out of here? Lunchtime. Ah. So um, first question, you know, we can't really know how much God has done in our lives if you don't know where we've been in our lives. So an important part of recovery is sharing our story. So I'm going to ask you guys if you would be willing to share a little bit of your story and talk about before Christ, before God came into your life, before you've been rescued, what it was like, where you were at, and and if you will, talk about the loneliness or the shame that was involved in your life before Christ. Jake, my man. So uh, I'm Jake. Um, I struggled with uh, drugs for a couple years, about three or four years. Um, I started off as it was just a social thing, you know. Uh, I felt more accepted when I was doing smoking and doing other stuff with other people. Um, after a while, though, of constant using, I started using every single day, smoking every single day, getting high every single day, all day, all night, wake up in the middle of the night and get high. It got to the point to where I noticed that I didn't have to be around anybody to get high. The fact that just being high was all I really cared about. I, it was just for friends at first, but it got to a point to where it was just for me. And the isolation started because I didn't want to share. I didn't want to, you know, really be around too many people because too many people would judge me. And I didn't want that, so I secluded myself from the whole world. And after a while, you know, girlfriends, friends, you know, family, it just, they weren't as important to me at that time. So in a way, they were in the way. So I had a, basically I treated them like doo-doo, one word. And it was was the worst mistake I made. Really great people that meant a lot to me in my life. I just, you know, broke their hearts, you know, and just didn't think twice about it, didn't care. Um, There's a lot of hurt that goes in with recovery, a lot of shame for the people that you let go, and the shame for the people that you've seen, you know, pass. You know, people you're close to end up dying. And just, you know, that remorse feeling like, you know, you could have actually done something if you did something for yourself in the first place. 
But, you know, it got to a point to where I was so lonely, so shameful, because it got to where I didn't want to get high every day. But now, it's got to a point to where I couldn't stop. So, I still couldn't be around people because I couldn't, I literally would look down. I could never look anybody in the eyes because of the hurt I had inside. And I would never cry, you know. I was never a softy, you know. I had hardened my heart a long time ago, you know, from the life that I was living. So the only thing I could do is just not look them in their eyes because I didn't want to see what they saw because to me it was worthless. And that's what I thought at the time. That's all I was. So there was a lot of loneliness and shame before, you know, I accepted God back in my life and, you know, actually started to work recovery. There's a lot of heart, heartache, pains, things like that. Things that I wish I could get back, but I never can now. Because of the mistakes that I made. So, I guess with that, I'll pass it to Manny. Okay, my name's Amanda. Hi, everybody. Um, Mine started, everything started when I was about, um, well, from the ages of 9 to 10, I was molested every night by a family member. But it was so dark in the room, I couldn't, I never found out who it was. I actually didn't find out until last winter what family member it was. But I felt totally um, unsafe at home. I didn't want to be around family because I didn't know who I could trust. So what it is is, and it's funny, loneliness and shame is the topic because I've been studying um, shame this year. And what I've learned is there's a cycle of shame. And when this happened, I felt like it was my fault. I felt like um, very shameful and very dirty. And um, so I started looking for other ways to feel adequate. And that's how this um, shame cycle began because with what's called the shame cycle, it's like, okay, um, something happens and it may or may not be your fault, and a traumatic experience. And when it causes shame on you, what, it, what you do is if you don't have God, you look for something to cover that up. And then whatever you decide to do causes more shame. So then you look for something to cover it up. And until you find God, you're just in this cycle of shame that you just go through for all your life. And then before you know it, you've made so many mistakes. You've hurt so many people, um, so many more traumatic events that have um, have happened due to uh, poor choices or, um, you know, violations. And so that cycle started when I was about 11 years old. And, um, well... A lot of traumatic things happened to me when I was in this process. Um, I was raped by six men when I was 13. I had my son at 15. Um, You know, a lot of bad things happened. And then I noticed when I got to about the age of 18 that the only thing that would never leave me in life was drugs. I could always find drugs. So... That's when I really started buying the drugs instead of just doing it when it was around. And um, so I was very lonely, and I grew up out in Greentown. So people in Greentown knew me as one thing. People in Kokomo knew me as another. So because I was um, riding the fence, a lot of people 
never really fully understood me. Um, I was uh, one way towards some people, one way towards another, double-minded. Um, it, it's caused a lot of spiritual bondage that I've had to learn to break through. Um, and all this, all this junk just kept happening. Bad choices, uh, traumatic experiences, put myself in bad situations, just trying to fill a void that only Jesus Christ could fill inside of me and not realizing it. And then, um, uh, let's see, last year, well, no, January 13th, I tried to commit suicide, and um, that was my bottom. That was my bottom. I was completely hopeless. Um, I was in a total state of despair. I didn't want to be here anymore. I couldn't figure out the key to changing. I tried different techniques, but I was like, man, it's like a math problem. you got to figure out, you know, exactly how to do this. And um, it wasn't until I attempted suicide and had nowhere to look but up. And I started reading the promises and I started uh, speaking all that. Yeah. That was the bottom. That was the bottom. Yeah. Perfect. Oh, okay. Next question. Seth. I'm Seth. I saw something, I think it was actually last night, that said uh, people that self-destruct aren't truly trying to hurt themselves and the people that are around them. They're trying to kill the thing inside them that doesn't belong there. And so to me, when I think back over my life and, and everything, I, I always thought drugs and alcohol were the problem. But when you take those away, it was really fear, fear of inadequacy. Because before Christ, I, I looked to the world and others for my self-worth. And so I was always trying and strive to be this, this person of perfection, but always falling short and feeling inadequate and not able to to live up to the standard that the people around me that I let dictate how I felt about myself had for me or what I at least thought they had for me and the person that I should be. And uh, to me, I, I, I uh, heard something else that addiction is kind of like dancing with the gorilla. Like, yeah, you, you kind of asked that gorilla to dance and you, you flirted with it a little bit. But then once it gets a hold of you, you're not done dancing until it lets go. And uh, it, it's the cycle of the guilt and shame that every time that you go back in your true efforts, true heartfelt attempts at sobriety to let it go, and that you, you don't, it's not like you set out to destroy your life and everybody around you. I, I didn't. And then when you fall back into it somehow, the guilt and shame and that nasty overcast shadow that just follows your life around, just the captivity of comparison just keeps you in a lonely, lonely place. Everybody's competition. Uh, you don't really have anybody around. And it's not that there weren't people in my life that didn't love me, but I didn't know how to love them, so I didn't know how to receive their love. So um, I, I got to the point where, kind of like Jonah on the ship in, in the sea, I, I felt like, throw me off this ship of life. And uh, the storms 
that I'm causing, that I'm the cause of all the destruction, the hurt, and the pain, and everything in my family's life, and that if you throw me off this ship, you are going to be good. Um, so really, man, the, that was bottom. You hang on, hang on to that. So we'll go back the other way. So um, you've heard, you know, the sad part. It really is sad, and, and the, the courage and the strength that it, you guys have. I don't want to take that for granted to come up and share in front of a bunch of folks, mostly that you don't know. So that's pretty awesome. That's to me, that's recovery to be able to do that. Um, knowing that you don't have to do it alone, though, is a pretty cool thing. So we've heard the negative stuff. You didn't hear all of it. Trust me. I mean, that was enough to get a flavor of how bad it really was. But I don't know any addicts or alcoholics that wake up one day and say, ha, I think I'm going to get clean and sober today. You look yourself in the mirror and you say, you know what? Today's the day. Usually it's out of consequences, out of many sufferings and hurts and pain. Uh, a lot of times it's referred to as sick and tired of being sick and tired. So I would like for you to share the turning point. Not just about the turning point, but then what began to happen? What did you begin to experience in your recovery? In your first part of your recovery? And then we'll get to the more serious part of recovery and how you're continuing to do that today. But talk about that turning point. Uh, to me, a uh, turning point was uh, just coming to the end of myself. Uh, just wore out at all my efforts to be good, to be adequate, to be enough. Um, I, I cried out to God to wake me or take me. I couldn't do life anymore. And uh, two weeks later, um, I, I smashed my truck into two telephone poles, drunk and high. And uh, my best efforts at being good, being enough, being a good father, being a good husband should have left me dead in that ditch. And uh, truly, uh, I was to the point where immediately afterwards, I, I wished it would have taken me out. Like, uh, that's how sick that my thinking was and how low I was on myself. And I was like, man, that would have been my kids. It, it could have been a car accident, you know, and, and that wouldn't have been that bad for them to have to deal with. But uh, immediately after that, um, I, my, my daughter the next day uh, asked Jesus into her heart at this little carnival thing, and she had been adamant before that she knew who Jesus was and that, she didn't want any part of it. And when I asked her, I said, what's different today? She said, Daddy, I know Jesus saved you. And uh, I, I had someone talk me into going to the Home of Grace, uh, which is a faith-based addictions recovery program. And just the overwhelming feeling of love and acceptance that people poured out on me is what truly motivated me in the early days. The people that came out that really only knew that I was some drunk drug addict that smashed in telephone poles, that, that made my wife and family dinners while I was gone, that uh, befriended my wife and, and offered support. We had a guy come over and fix our washer. Uh, people that didn't know me take the time to write me cards. And just the, the brotherhood of love that was at home of grace. And, and so instead of receiving the death that I deserved, uh, God really played out the gospel in real life to me. 
that, that the death that I deserved, I didn't receive, and I received love, mercy, and grace in return. Um, well, I already kind of explained what happened back in January, but, um, yeah. Did I? Okay, so, (laughs) um, I was in, I was in jail. I did 11 months, okay? And I went through what's called J-Love. My church does this ministry. It's called J-Love. And um, I experienced for the first time the love of Jesus Christ. And that was when I really wanted to do the work, you know. And I got out of jail. I was out for 41 days. And someone that I was with, I gave them a cell phone to turn in. They ended up stealing the cell phone. So we both went to jail. And um, after that, I got, I was so hopeless because I was like, man, you know, God, if, if this is all my life is, I'm sitting, I'm sitting in jail and it's about lunchtime. I got my tray in the room. I'm not eating. I know they're about to pop these doors for me to take my tray back out. I've been to jail 32 times. I've been to prison twice and I've been in numerous um, recovery homes. And I was like, you know, God, if this is all my life is going to consist of, then I don't even want to be here. You know, I'm over it, you know. So they popped the door. Three, five minutes later, I ran upstairs and jumped 16 feet and hit solid concrete. And um, I was sitting in the drunk tank right afterward. I, I didn't get medical attention. I didn't get any medical help. But I'm sitting in the drunk tank, and I'm, like, angry because I couldn't even, you know, kill myself. And, um, it took about three days before, (laughs) it took about three days before I was like, okay, God, you protect me even when I try to hurt myself. That's amazing to me. That shows me, that proves to me that there is a purpose for my life, that you're not letting go of me. And that, uh, what's that scripture? It says that, uh, he will complete the good work in me. And I was like, okay, so that's whenever I dipped to the Bible, I started reading the promises. I started getting really into Isaiah and uh, studying my word. And the first thing I had to do, and I knew this, was to change my thinking. So I started changing my thinking, and um, I, he worked a miracle, and I got out. And I haven't looked back since, but it took a full surrender. And um, once I've surrendered, once I surrendered to Jesus Christ... I look up, I look up sometimes and I'm like, you know, it's your life. I'm just rolling with it, you know, because I, I do because he's so amazing. And I, I remember I've done over 10 years in county alone and two years in prison. That's a lot of loneliness. That's a lot of time to think. Um, it was horrible. It was horrible. And I never want to look back. But I will look back when I'm helping someone else. I'm a helper. And um, I want people to feel good. I want to give people hope. And I want them to know what Jesus Christ has done for me. So that, um, you know, that fulfills me. That That's why I look back when I do. And um, life's been really good ever since. So. Thank you, Amanda. All right, put your seatbelts on. 
So uh, my turning point was August 2nd, 2017. Um, I overdosed and I died for 22 minutes. I was pronounced dead for 22 minutes. Um, clinically, um, six minutes after your heart dies, your brain dies. So the longer, you know, you kind of die and come back, the more damage it's supposed to do to you. Like I should be slow and not coherent, not functionable, um, not be able to go to school, um, things like that. I shouldn't be able to function in society. But I tell you today that I am going to IUK in college and I'm doing extremely well. So, that's just a miracle in the making that God's created. Um, but my turning point was on that day, August 2nd, 2017, when I was pronounced dead. Uh, my mom and my sister uh, were got a call that I was in the hospital and that I was basically dead. They were going to have to come make arrangements. Um, during that time I was pronounced dead, I had this vision, and I was talking to this man, like we were on clouds or something, and I asked him, I said, where am I? And he said, you did what you told me you weren't going to do. And at that time I knew, all those times that I begged and pleaded, like, hey, just get me out of this and I won't do it again. But I never meant it, you know. It was never really in my heart, it was just an excuse. And I just remember arguing with him because I knew I was dead and I wanted to go back. I said, I, I, can't, I can't leave my family, my friends, or anybody on these terms that I left them. Even though I didn't care before, all of a sudden I cared. And for some reason, I really did care. It was like an eye-opener. Like, I really do care about these people. Why, do I, why did I always treat them so horribly? It made no sense. But as I was arguing with them, I just remember waking up. And the doctor's like, he's alive. He's alive. You know, like a miracle. And, you know, they start surrounding my bed. And I'm incoherent, like, just seeing. And I see my mom, my sister just bawling. My mom's arms are in the air, praising the Lord, crying. My mom, sister's on her knees on the floor, crying, praying. Like, it was too much for me. And at that time, I knew I had to do something. So on August 3rd, 2017, I went to rehab. And August 4th, 2017, I've been clean ever since. So. But it took a lot of consequences, a lot of multiple times of overdosing, uh, losing friends, family, destroying those connections before I finally realized and it finally hit me that this isn't the life I want anymore. I want to do better. I want to be better. I want to get closer to God. I want to be who I'm supposed to be, not who I was. And each day I just keep striving to become a better man. And that's all I can do. Yeah. So with that. No, no. Hang on. Okay. Because we're coming back this way now. Okay. All right. So you know what? I was just thinking and, and God said, I wrote it down. You guys have been literally and figuratively bought, brought back from the dead. Amen. I mean, seriously. You were walking dead. You were dead, and he brought you back. Yeah. And here you are today. Woo. Come on, people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, thank you, God. Thank you, God. So, Jake, talk a little more about the blessings. And, and now that you are in recovery, what has happened to the loneliness and shame? What's happened in your life? What is God doing today? What has he allowed you to see? What has he revealed to you 
in recovery? That's the easiest question in the world. All right. So uh, what since being in recovery and taking that step to actually get clean and sober and live life, to actually live life, because before I wasn't living life, I was just getting by. So to actually live life, I've been making connections with people. Come to this church and go to the meetings and meeting wonderful people. You know, I have close connections with like a lot of people now to where people I can call on. And if I'm struggling or need help, I can call on them. We can talk about our problems. We talk about our struggles. We can talk about our hopes, our dreams. You know, not always bad, but the joys as well. You know, uh, this recovery got me in school. You know, got me to college. Before I kind of went to college, I didn't care about high school. You know, I barely finished that. So, you know, being in recovery, this is a lifestyle for me. This isn't, you know, a choice. This is a lifestyle. It's like when I go to work out, you know, I don't make it a habit. It's a lifestyle for me. I like to be healthy. I like to look fit. I like to be fit. You know, it's recovery. I like to look fit. I like to be fit, you know, in my recovery. So, you know, being a part of meetings, constantly going to these meetings, uh, talking to people, making connections. You know, I've, I have more friends than I do now than I did then because they weren't my friends. They were acquaintances that wanted to get high too. And now... I met people that they love me for me, and they want me for me. They don't care about any of that extra stuff. They just, you know, want to see what's in my heart. And I just love connecting with each and every person because it just makes me feel loved, and I can spread that love to other people, give those positive vibes, that positive energy, because that's what God wants. Is He wants us to love one another and treat each other with respect and love and kindness. So that's the best thing that I try to do all the time is treat everybody with love, make them feel accepted, appreciated, no matter the circumstances. I always try to be there for people, even if I don't know you. I mean, sometimes I'll see strangers just walking around, just be like, here, give them money or something, I don't know, and or ask them to marry me, apparently. Uh, <laughs> that's a whole other story. But, uh, you know, it just, you, you need to enjoy life. But you don't need things sinfully to make you happy, to live, you know? I don't need sex, money, drugs, none of that to be happy. Position and possessions, exactly. I don't need any of that. Those are materialistic. You know, I want what's in here. I want my heart to feel good, you know? And when I connect with somebody, I connect with their heart because that connection is stronger mentally than it is physically. And nowadays, you know, it's more physicality than anything. I'm sure everybody knows that. But it's more about the mental aspect. Like, I wonder how that person thinks. You know, how do they perceive things? You know, I I try to get in people's minds. Not manipulate them like I used to, but just trying to see how they think. Because it's interesting to me. Even though I stink at psychology, it's still interesting to me. So, I mean, this recovery, it's, it's changed my life. You know, it's gone from being me thinking I'm worthless to me thinking I'm worthy, you know, to be chosen, to feel chosen, to know God loves me, that he's there for me, that he is my rock and not my heart anymore. Because I used to feel like my heart was the rock and it was just sinking, sinking down in my stomach and out my bowels. Like that's literally I felt heartless. And now, you know, I can feel the purity. I can feel the cleansing. I can feel me always just being honest now. I don't have to lie to make people happy. I can just be honest with somebody. 
even if sometimes it's not too good to be honest with people, that's why I'm like, do you really want my opinion? You know, because I'm going to have to give you the honest truth, you know. So I warn you first, but, you know, it's just recovery's uh, changed my life. And these people that I have in my circle now are the most reliable, the most loving, the most caring people I could have ever asked for. And that's what God did for me. He gave me those because I had to work for them. Because, uh, what's it called? Uh, well, here's my saying. Prayer without action is insanity. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. Expect the same result. You can pray, but without action, you're not going to get anywhere. You know, God loves those who take action. And I forget what verse that was, but he talks about, you know, actually taking action in the Bible. But with that, I'll pass. Okay. Um, my recovery. It's funny because I, I actually claim deliverance, but I'm always aware of Satan around the corner. Um, <clears throat> for my recovery, I'm very spiritual. So um, I'm on the praise and worship team in my church. I'm on the J-Love board. I have, um, I went to the Kokomo Great Banquet this year. I, yeah, that was fun. Um, I stay involved with my community and uh, with my church. Well, okay, so um, I never completed a program and I've never completed probation. Well, I did just that this year. I completed, yeah, I completed um, one of my cases um, out of the courts. And um, after that, well, while I was on that case, I went to, um, I was sentenced to the Gilead House. I went to the Gilead House and I flew right through the program. And... Um, when that was done, they didn't, they don't ask you to leave until you're prepared. So I sat there and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I was waiting on the spirit to tell me when to move. Because I know for me, if I go before the spirit, it will not go right. So, um, I completed that and I prayed and prayed and prayed, God, what do you want me to do next? Do you want me to get my own place? What do you want me to do? And I've actually been to open arms six times before but i never completed the program so um for about a month and a half <laughs> for about a month and a half god was telling me to go back to open arms and i wanted to make sure that i was hearing him right because i didn't really care to go back to open arms and <laughs> finally i obeyed the spirit i went back to open arms and it was like a personal mission of mine to go in there and complete that program and now not only am i completing the program but i'm an ra so i'm like right below staff so yeah huh uh, I definitely am working for them now. Um, I have the keys. I do the alarm system. I pass out medication. They trust me with all this. And come to find out, I'm very protective of the house. So, <laughs> so um, I'm doing that. And I'm also a student. I started going to Indiana Wesleyan University for my associate's degree in Christian ministries back in August. And, um, yeah. 
So I got my license back for the first time in 10 years. I uh, pay my bills on time. And... I am a responsible human being, and who would have known that it felt so good, right? <laughs> so the original question was, how are things right now? Every day I wake up is the best day of my life. No, honestly. No, look, 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 look. My, my mama taught me not to lie, especially in church. So... Uh, <laughs> No, I mean, honestly, uh, the story of Lazarus, when he comes out and he's still got the grave clothes on and Jesus tells the people, hey, help him get his grave clothes off. Man, there's still days that I get stuck inside my head, that I let a comment throw me off a little bit. I get inside my feelings about uh, some of the things going on in my life. And to me, not every day, there's still bad days. There's still bad moments. I have more good days, I have more good moments than I have bad these days. Um, so, to me, it's taking those bad moments, those bad days, and taking those thoughts captive and bringing them back to Jesus' feet. Because at Jesus' feet, I'm adequate, I'm enough, I'm forgiven, I'm free. I don't need to live up to any standard. To, he saved me knowing that I was going to get it wrong. Something that, I, one of the analogies I've, I've talked about is like, my kid, I got two two beautiful little daughters sitting in the second row here, and they bring me coloring pages from time to time. And I take these coloring pages and I put them on my fridge, not because they stayed inside the lines, not because they used the perfect color scheme, but because of the intent behind it. You know, because of the effort and attitude that they made that coloring page. So today, at Jesus' feet, I'm free to fail. I don't have to act like I have it all together. And that allows me to come in these circles with with people that are also seeking betterment and, and have the pride out the way to be able to admit their failures and their screw-ups. And together, we help each other take the grave clothes off. Wow. So, by a show of hands, how many people believe uh, God's still in the miracle business today? I'm looking to see if everybody's hands up. We're going to stay longer if you ain't got your hands up. Okay? Serious business. These three people are amazing. But more amazing is the work that God has done in their lives. And they have allowed God to do in their lives. And I'm telling you, they're on a path. You are on a path. It's going to bless, you've blessed all of us, and you will bless people that come into your sphere of influence. God is going to continue to do wonderful things in your life. I have no doubt about that. So I praise him today, and I thank him, and we glorify him through your witness and your testimonies today. And um, so I think what I'd like to do at this time is uh, my good buddy Tim up there, he was here with us yesterday and his son and helped. Uh, we got a video that I really, really, really want you to listen to the words and to check out the actions going on in the video because this is our story put into Matthew West words. It's called A God Who Stays. Because many a time, I don't, 
there's nobody exempt from any of this that needs recovery that has felt abandoned or felt betrayed or felt lonely or felt fear. We are all here on the planet to love one another, to lift one another, to help each other, to take off those bandages when we come back from the dead, when we're raised up because of what Jesus has done for us. So watch this video. If it was somebody would get the lights, it probably would help too. Thank you.
Come on. That's the God we serve. That's the God who saves us. I'm going to ask you, I'm done. Aaron's going to come up and close us, but church, love on these people before they leave today. Thank you. You can grab a seat for one more second. Thank you for your courage to share. Hopefully all of us can recognize, no matter whether or not drug and alcohol abuse has been a part of our story, we all have a story that involves brokenness, it involves feeling lonely, and it involves feeling shame. During this series, we've talked about how we wanted to have an intentional response. There's something sometimes about doing something physically that helps kind of create a moment to look back on or to just experience God in a uh, certain way. And as I was praying and thinking about what, what sort of story, what sort of response do we do, my mind went to the Gospel of John chapter 8. And there's this story of this woman who is brought before Jesus. And in Jesus' time, when, when someone would be caught in some sort of sin, some sort of uh, bad thing like adultery, which was this woman's thing, People would gather around and they would cast judgment. And part of the way that they would cast judgment is they would pick up stones and they would throw it at the person until they died. Now this woman, we're not going to get into all of why Jesus was being asked the questions or the fact that she is standing alone. Where's the man? But I want us to picture ourselves being in the feet of that woman. Can you imagine what it would be like? The shame for everyone to know your wrongdoing? And can you imagine quite literally seeing as people would just pick up rocks as if they were picking up ammunition of shame to just heap upon you? And I can only imagine what it would be like to be that woman. And I don't know that you could feel more lonely in a crowd of people than that woman felt in that moment. Where she's just standing there and, and everybody is against her and everybody is ready just to pounce. And throw shame and judgment upon her. And Jesus comes. And scripture tells us that he stops. And he he begins to just write on the ground. We have no idea what he wrote. In a lot of ways it doesn't matter. But Jesus then just utters the words. Anyone without sin. Can cast the first stone. And scripture tells us that slowly. Stones just began to fall. People walked away. Until it was just Jesus there with that woman. Jesus asked the woman, who, who here is to, to judge you? And she said, no one. And he says, neither do I. Now go leave your life of sin and sin no more. This morning, some of us have shame in our life. And it's like carrying a rock. And the truth is, for some of us, we feel like the shame is somebody is going to throw it at us. But I loved, as Amanda talked about the cycle of shame, part of the cycle of shame, I think, is the fact that eventually, at first, it might feel like it's just other people picking up the rocks to throw at you, but eventually you begin to scoop them up yourself, and you become some of your own worst enemy. This morning, I want you to know, before you leave this place, that the the shame that you feel, you don't have to carry anymore. 
God of all the universe, the only person who truly can bring judgment upon our life, never picked up a stone, never was going to cast it at you. So this morning, Pastor Jen is going to lead us in a song reminding us of the truth of a God who rescues, who pursues us because he loves us. And so what I'm going to ask during this song is if you feel led to, to take your stone to one of the crosses here and just drop it. And it's okay if it makes a little bit of noise. But some of us this morning need to stop carrying the shame that we continue to allow to be carried. Because that shame was bought with a price. That on the cross, Jesus hung and he died so that we no longer had to experience shame. So this morning, I hope and pray that you will drop your own stones. You will let go of your own shame. And you will leave it there. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to pray. And when you feel led, come leave your stone. God, we thank you for the fact that, God, when it feels like we are all alone, when it feels like people just want to heap shame upon us, when this world feels like it is so against us and we are standing judgment, God, we know that you are a God who sent your son to come stand in the gap. So this morning, would we know that we are not alone? Would we know that we are forgiven? And would we know that we no longer have to hold on to this stone? Because you are a God who saves You are a God who restores, and you are a God who rescues. Thank you, Abba Father. In your name I pray. Amen.